0: the Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the 21st chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to the people, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he leased it to tenants and went to another country. When the harvest time had come, he sent his slaves to the tenants to collect his produce. But the tenants seized his slaves and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again he sent other slaves, more than the first, and they treated them in the same way. Finally he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and get his inheritance. So they seized him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. Now, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, He will put those wretches to a miserable death and lease the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the produce at harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is amazing in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that produces the fruits of the kingdom. The one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and it will crush anyone on whom it falls." When the chief priests and the elder Pharisees heard his parables, they realized that he was speaking about them. They wanted to arrest him, but they feared the crowds because they regarded him as a prophet. The Word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be be to be to God. Most of us had no doubt seen this coming all along. Even before that tense and ugly confrontation earlier this week, Because in the nation's capital, the tension has been building and the ugliness has been escalating. And with the end now finally in sight, one thing the events of earlier this week absolutely confirmed is that it's going to get very ugly before all the votes are cast and tabulated. Indeed, not to sound paranoid, but to me it's even starting to sound like those who've predicted blood will be shed before it's done might not be completely crazy. I'm talking, of course, about our recent series of readings from Matthew's Gospel, which take place in the capital city of Jerusalem, which in Matthew's chronology, Jesus' motorless cade processed into just yesterday as crowds waved palm branches like campaign banners, laid garments on the road like red carpet, and shouted, words and shouts of support for this one whom they hailed as their nation's king and savior who would rule them and make them great again instead of a press conference we heard last week the first thing jesus did when he entered jerusalem was enter the temple courtyard where he scattered the money changers and their money and the animals they were selling for money shouting my house will be called a house of prayer but you are turning it into a den of thieves Depending on which news channel you watched, it was labeled either as an utterly embarrassing debacle or a profile in strong leadership by an outsider who had come to Jerusalem to drain the swamp. Jesus then left the temple and the city for the night, but returned the next morning, where crowds who gathered to hear him were soon interrupted by the chief priests and elders of the temple, that is to say, the large and in charge, who came to confront Jesus in what some actually had hoped could be kind of a civil debate to be watched and maybe learned from, but instead it got ugly quick. They accused him of being completely out of bounds, perhaps even illegally, overreaching whatever authority he thought he had and stepping on their God-given and Rome-given too authority in the process, he, in the form of a parable we heard last week, then accused them of being complete hypocrites, who publicly pumped and circumstanced all the religious practices and rituals they could so that people, when they looked at them and heard them, would think they were really something great in the eyes not just of them but in the eyes of God. But Jesus, fact-checking them in real time, said it was all smoke and mirrors, for when it came to the things they actually did, especially when they did it, what they did when it came to the needs of others, especially the needs of those most in need, The things they did and left undone bore no relationship whatsoever to the desires of God. Today's gospel features another parable, in this case a parable which turns very quickly from tense to brutal to to bloody to deadly, told on that same, this is that same scene, that same tensions rising showdown between Jesus and the temple's executive committee. It's the story of a man who owned a vineyard and then leased it to tenants, which was a common thing. But when he later sent slaves to collect his share of what the vineyard produced, the tenants had not just the uncommon but the inexcusable gall to say to the owner's messengers, your share? What are you talking about? This is our vineyard. And they beat up the messengers, including brutally killing at least two of them. So the owner, apparently not familiar with or just plain not buying the adage that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again but expecting different results sent more slaves to gather his due but surprise surprise not the results weren't different so then the owner some might now say exhibiting almost insanity, said, I know what I'll do. I'll send my son, because they'll respect him. He's my son. But they didn't respect the son. They killed him. And then they said to each other, insanely, evil, evilly, and, of course, ridiculously, ha, now it's all ours. Jesus then asked his audience, so, what will the owner of the do to those tenants and they it's not clear but they presumably being the religious leaders said in reply he will put those wretches to a miserable death and that statement jesus did not fact check for surely in that scenario that is exactly what would have been done what jesus does instead however is to turn the facts back in their faces telling them that the wretches in this parable were they themselves, who had been entrusted with the leadership of the people of God, but who had failed miserably for the interests they were only looking to were at the interests of only they themselves, not the people of God? So God, Jesus said to them, is now voting you out of office to give the kingdom to a people who will produce the fruits of the kingdom rather than the bitter stench of the toxic fruit of the stink to high heaven sinfulness of you. He said this all clearly, and looking them in the eye, at which point Matthew observes that the Pharisee is always quick on the uptake, then realized that he was speaking about them. You think? Tension then escalates. With Matthew's next observation, that with him getting in their faces like that, they wanted to arrest him on the spot. But the crowds made that not feasible at that time. And though parables, of course, aren't generally meant to be understood as literally true, this particular parable is, in some details, pretty much literally true, both historically and prophetically. It's true as history because for centuries, the biblical prophets, the messengers that God, the owner of everything, had sent, had again and again and over again been ignored and abused and in more than a few cases killed. And likewise, this parable is also true as prophecy because standing in front of them right now, right before their faces, was the owner's son. And though they didn't get it done that day, it was only Monday. And come Thursday, Thursday night, they would seize the sun in the dark with no crowds on hand. And then casting their votes, also with no crowds on hand, and in even deeper darkness, they would, come Friday, put him to a miserable death. It's important to know that this parable's image of a vineyard that the owner expected to get some return from wasn't an image that Jesus just, um, for the sake of a parable, pulled out of thin air. It was, in fact, rather a well-known and recurring image from the Old Testament, which Jesus here borrowed. And the clearest scripture passage he borrowed it from was our first reading for today, that one that Lars read earlier from the first Part of the book of Isaiah set some 750 years before that Monday when Jesus clashed with the religious leaders of his day. Isaiah's ancient vineyard words, like Jesus in Matthew's gospel's words, are also symbolically both prophetic and historic, except the symbolism it is symbolic with is not the symbolism of a parable but rather the symbolism of a song. A love song, specifically, Isaiah says, except it's a sad love song. Therefore, I suppose, perhaps best sung as a, as a, as a country-western song, for it's a love song about a love relationship that has soured, literally, to the point that love now was love unrequited, for only one of the lovers loved anymore. Isaiah sings this song, he says, on behalf of a loved one of his who had lovingly worked to establish a vineyard. And then, because vineyards take time, it's not like corn and soybeans, you plant in the spring and you harvest in the fall, vineyards take time, it takes years, and so the beloved one, on behalf of whom Isaiah, the prophet says he is singing, worked and watched and worked and waited and pruned and tended and guarded and worked for years until it was time for the harvest. But the grapes the vineyard produced were bitter. They were wild. They were God awfully sour, not sweet. So said the prophet Isaiah, the owner of the vineyard, though he lovingly invested so much in the vineyard because it did not produce the sweet fruit he loved and yearned for, decided it was time to let it go to waste. And indeed, he would even hasten the process. He would lay it waste, bring doubt, breaking down its protective walls and hedges and watchtower so that it would soon be overrun at which point the prophet Isaiah got into the face of his hearers. O Israel, he said, you are the vineyard. And Judah, he said, you are God's planting. For God, your God, with oh so much love, did plant and establish and guard and grow you. But God did that so that fruit might appear and grow, the sweet fruit of justice for all, and righteousness in all. But instead, Isaiah says, and you could read the rest of Isaiah 5 later if you want to fact check me, instead, Isaiah says, wealthy, greedy, rich, but completely self-absorbed, you're gorging yourselves on the fruits of the vineyard while the poor all around you cry out for justice for their share of the fruit of not your, but my vineyard, only to find themselves not just ignored, but abused and exploited and trampled upon like the grapes of your wine. So, said Isaiah, did God now say, Israel, Judah, you. Because of the bitter grapes of greed and injustice and lack of concern for those who concern me most, you will be trampled upon and overrun. Some call it a fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. Skeptics, of course, prefer to call it a coincidence. A Buddhist or a Hindu might prefer to call it karma. But whatever your preference, facts are facts. And the fact is that soon, very soon, I mean only a year or two after Isaiah sang this song on behalf of God, his beloved, on behalf of the poor and ignored and exploited and abused and trampled upon whom God loved, the northern half of God's vineyard, the the northern section of this this land um, known as the land of Israel at that time, was conquered and overrun by the Assyrian Empire. And a century and a half later, which is a long time in our time, but it's an eye blink in Bible time, the remaining half of the vineyard that God had planted, known at that time as the nation of Judah, was conquered and overrun and laid waste by the Babylonian Empire. And the walls of the Judean city, which King David had made God's vineyard's capital city, Jerusalem, were destroyed, and the temple in the city built by David's son Solomon as the dwelling place on earth for God was destroyed. And everything in it was either plundered, torn down, or burned to the ground. But even so, Isaiah would go on to say, to be heard by those with ears to hear things like promises more powerful than judgment, karma, tragedy, or sin. Even so, Isaiah will go on to say, the destruction of the vineyard God loved would not be the last verse of this love song's story. For a stump would remain, and there would be life in its roots. And through it, one day, visibly and fully alive, life would again sprout and grow, and the sweet fruits of righteousness and justice would be harvested by all, for all. Which were it the season of Advent would lead us to Isaiah 11 which reads, A shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, Jesse being King David's father, and a branch, a branch of life, shall grow out of those roots, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, and with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. Which, were we Christians, would lead us to one of the first sermons Jesus ever preached. It was in his hometown of Nazareth, and the text he chose was from the prophet Isaiah, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. And then he preached a sermon only nine words long. Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In another sermon not much later, he said they're clearly the same thing, just in a few more words. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you who are hungry, now you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep, for you will laugh. Blessed, in other words, said Jesus, blessed by God, are those the world too often turns from, not toward, with its blessings. For blessed, he said, blessed by God are not those at the top of the world's watchtowers, but those at the bottom, not those fortressed behind vineyard walls, but those kept out by walls, with no walls of their own to call home. Which, if we were Christians who were Americans, or Americans who were Christians, would lead us, not one bit partisanly, politically, but prophetically, truthfully, to proclaim, to remind others and ourselves that if any nation on earth expects to be ongoingly blessed by God, if as Americans, for example, we are wont to pray in our songs, God bless America, land that I love, which is a perfectly fine prayer, pray it. But pray it remembering the message of both history and prophecy. We cannot expect God's continuing answer to our prayer for God's blessings to be, yes, yes, I will. Unless when blessed, we are not also proceeding to bear the sweet and good fruit of using the blessings God has given us for good, which is not just good for us, but rather good for others through us. And where shall we find them? Well, Isaiah says that God finds them by listening not to the world's boastful, but to the world's broken, not to the world's tirades, but to its tears. And there, there, amidst the world's brokenness and tears, says Jesus, God sends God's Son. To plant not a vineyard, but a cross. Where darkness then would be as as dark as darkness can get, but in him light then would be shining in the dark. And hate then would be as hateful as hate can get, but in him love then would still be loving even when hated. And sin then would be as sinful as sin can get, but forgiveness then in him would be forgiving sinners their sin. And death then would be as dead as dead can get. But come Sunday, hallelujah, in Him there would be life. Life arising and promising that neither darkness nor hate nor sin nor death has what it takes to tear God's beloved from God's love and from the stump of the cross would sprout the living vine of Christ's church, which would have nothing at all against, for example, America being great or great again, but whose mission would be to bear fruit, rich fruit, the rich wine from which would make love great again, love being the only thing that is great with the greatness of forever. Amen.